This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Welcome back, Doc. You've had a couple of days in Cape Town. Good to have you back in uh, the Big Guava. Um, how was your, your time in Cape Town? Yeah, thanks, Gordon. Great. It was nice to, nice to see as well, you know, that, that the place is opening up, you know. Uh, they just recently had the Cape Cycle Tour. The Epic started. The Cape Town Marathon started. So, And those were participation events, you know, albeit in batches. So it was good to see people out and about getting on with life, uh, you know, and, and yeah, you know, so leading a, well, what I would call a probably a, a more normalized life. So, yeah, it was nice Wonderful. the last few days down there. Well, as normal as you can get from Cape Town, and which leads me to uh, our guest today, uh, Brandon DeCock, who is a former creative director of Ramsey Media. Uh, he describes himself as a writer, photographer, and a professional hedonist who's had too much to eat and drink on seven continents, and played golf on six of them. Actually, I thought for a moment he was talking about you there, Doc. I mean, this is more your kind of life. I mean, you know, I just well, that's nice and when, we could, when we could travel, uh, Gordon, you know, and hopefully one day we can travel. But yeah, uh, not on the golf course. I'm a hazard on the golf course, but uh, I'm not a bad traveler. There we go. Right. Well, welcome, Brandon. Brandon's been telling stories with words, pictures, and microphones for the past 25 years. It's, it's not your conventional uh, CV for somebody who is at the coalface of research. But, Brandon, thanks for joining us uh, today. Really looking forward to our discussion. Only a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry you had to start by, you know, having a word about Cape Town. It's not that bad down here. You know, we do have other, we've got other stuff other than the mountain. You know, it is a fairly sort of civilized, industrialized area of the country. Um, and as Doug would have found out, you know, there are a few things to do here apart from walking on the mountain. 
you know. Um, anyway, but well, it's, it's well, great I'm, to be here. Thanks for having me, James. I'm very pleased to hear that. And just uh, by way of explanation to our listeners, that rumbling in the background is not my stomach. Um, that is uh, a high-file storm thundering in. So if there's breakup of signal, apologies in advance. I'm afraid it does tend to work with the... Uh, with the Wi-Fi here. Um, but Brandon, interestingly enough, you're here to talk about numbers and brand map today, the latest mm-hmm. data release, or given your your sort of perspective, your storytelling, Panchal, um, is that really just to talk about the stories behind the numbers? What's the big play for you, the numbers or the stories behind the numbers? Yeah, for me, definitely, it's the story. So, Gordon, I, you know, I come out of, Stuart and I both come out of Ramsey Media. We, we worked in magazines for a long time. Uh, I've, I've been, you know, involved in writing and uh, storytelling in whatever possible way for the last 30 years. It's, it's what I've always done. And this whole thing started at Ramsey Media because we couldn't really get decent data out of what was going on in landscape surveys uh, because we had all these top end things. You know, we had Wine Magazine. I was editing the Golf Mag. We had uh, Getaway Travel Mag. We had Car Mag. And wherever we went to try and find data, it wasn't there. And without that data, we couldn't really tell stories about, you know, who was reading our magazines and who was visiting our websites. So that's kind of the genesis of what BrandMap was. It was a way of us extracting like meaningful reader data in order to tell stories. What happened was 10 years ago, we stumbled into the fact that if we went online and started asking people using our existing databases, we went from like reader surveys that rendered 200 responses to like 12,000. You know, we got 12,000 people responding to our first ever survey nine years ago. Um, so we very much just continue doing that. And, and the, the survey provides marketers with the, the data they need to understand the top, what, I, what we call the top end of the market, the top 30% of adults in this country. And it provides me with an ongoing kind of source of stories because, you know, uh, stories are just data with soul, as was yeah. famously quoted. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, I mean, that, that's been a, a hardy annual, and I know as a data user and a planner myself, that that that's been since the seventies a real issue trying to you know understand the top end of the market. And for a while, uh, Son and its older duration, SA newspapers, which began Jonic, etc., they had the Saber study. Yeah. That study yeah. used to do a reasonable job, but that study caved in. And so, yes, to a very large degree, you, you've stepped into that. And I think the sample this year is is in the 30-odd thousand, uh, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere of that order. Yeah, we we, uh, we crested 30,000 this year. So uh, 33,000 people. You know, size is only important to us because the nature of what we're trying to do, we're not trying to quantify, you know, we're not doing what the, what the other surveys are mandated to do. We're trying to catch enough people that I can profile. So, you know, that's it. That's all we're trying to do. I'm trying to get as many people as I can to tick a box saying that I wear Levi's jeans or I'm an Investec bank client or, 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 or. Once I've got you to tick the box, then I can profile you. And that means we sort of unhitch from this whole you know, the, the, the mathematical random sampling methodology, because it's an accident that we land up being able to tell people what their market share is. It's not what we set out to do. So we don't have to ignore all the, the rich people in the country in order to get a, a survey. We can go to whoever we want to, and then we can kind of reverse engineer the data. Um, yeah, it's a slightly different way of doing things, but we believe that it's of pretty massive value to yeah. anyone who's working in that you know, when we, when we say top end, remember, we are talking middle class and up, um, but we are also operating in the most divided country in the entire world. 
So uh, if you know, when, when the top 30% of adults in this country earn 85% of all the cash, uh, depending on what you're selling, you may definitely discover that brand wrap is the kind of survey that's going to give you much better answers than, uh, you know, than something that is trying to yeah. uh, represent the whole pop, you know? So let's just quickly contextualize that. And I'm going to ask Don mm. to have a comment because I know he's the researcher in the family here. I mean, your average household income in the surveys around about, or it was in 2020, around about 26,000. So it might have gone up a little since then. Um, if I take a look at the, the SEM 10 classification and the top end of that, that's got a, a household income of 24,000. So when you're talking about top end, you're talking about the top half of that SEM 10 uh, cluster. And that, that really is a, a very important sector in so many areas, as, as is kind of indicated by some of your clients. I mean, you know, your clients were kind of obvious ones to me, many of them, Woolworths, uh, Honda, Liberty, Old Mutual, a lot of the top end guys. So, so one would understand that. But Doc, you, I mean, what's the trade-off between kind of agile data and, and the nth degree of statistical validity or reliability rather than validity in this case. Yeah, I think, uh, firstly, Brendan, thanks very much for the time uh, to spend with yeah. us and, and, you know, go through go through your work. Gordon, yeah, you know, look, obviously from a, a reliability validity point of view, I always wanted to know that it was reliable and valid, okay? But I think, and, and, and it's interesting, you know, we, you guys led in the storytelling. I mean, so often researchers and, and, and analysts would get so caught up in their work uh, and not understood and not understand that they lost the audience somewhere along the line. So it was very important for me to buy the messenger as well as the message, but packed correctly. I wanted the insights. I wanted to know what I could do with it. If I chose to read the whole report, that was my prerogative, but I wanted to know what, what it was. So, yeah, and I think, you know, I heard an expression a while ago, I'm not sure if it's new, but it, but it was certainly new for me. Uh, speed beats perfection every time. Now, the problem is I, I come out of an old school where you want to get things right. You know what I mean? So you don't want to rush the answer. Uh, and I guess a lot of the agile mindset uh, is, is around, you know, sort of paint the plane as you fly. So it's, it's a trade-off, Gordon, but it can't be wrong. You know, you can't rush the answer and then later on I, I make it a marketing decision based on incorrect info. I mean, that's okay. catastrophic. But yeah, you know. It is that uh, it is that balancing act, but don't describe the data and the detail in the meeting if I didn't ask for it. You know, I just want I want the takeout. I want to know what I can do with it. Doctor, you do not think that I mean I, I so so I think you're absolutely correct, I and mean, that's what you know we've. I think the reason we Stuart and I started doing this is because we hated that data dump idea. You know, it's like it's it's uh, it's frustrating apart from anything and you know people just throwing numbers out that, that don't understand it so that's what a, a statistical researcher that's their job somebody's got to you know create the link and that's very much what we've been aiming to do with brand map the, all, all this time there's a little nuance to it though which i think is that um i think that i think we we we're getting into this incre increasingly complex world and the idea of in, in any country, the idea of a single data set that's able to tell the whole story is just becoming more and more irrelevant or just, it's just, it's a, a pipe dream, quite frankly. And, you know, we sit in South Africa in a, in a weird situation where we literally are the most unequal playing field in the world as a consumer society. So when you have a landscape survey that's trying to describe all 40 million adults, you've got a perfect mathematical model the, one of the best ever. I mean, what the guys in the landscape world are doing right now is like 
you know, mathematically, statistically, it's better than anything that's ever been done ever in history, right? But they're applying this perfect model to the most imperfect, unbalanced consumer landscape. So, you know, in the same, I think, I think that the challenge we've got is for, for people who are interested in data and using data for insights to realize that, you know, brand map stops at 10,000 Rand household income. If you're Pep stores or Tiger brands or Unilever, it's of no value at all. And we openly say that. But yeah. if you're a landscape survey, quite frankly, if you're running, you know, if you're in private wealth or you're trying to sell Jaguars or Tag Heuer, um, it's almost impossible for those surveys to represent the whole South African population, which includes 17 million people on social grants, and mm -hmm. still get good enough samples at the top um, in those sort of higher end consumer markets to actually add some real insight, you know, you land up with a relative footprint picture, but you can't profile those people particularly well. So I think everyone's just got to work a bit harder and understand the data sets that you're working with and what they're intended to do. That's yeah. kind the key of point there is that, you know, that you talk about data sets in the plural, not in the singular. And I think those, those halcyon days, you know, about the first 40 years of our advertising career, where we had single source data, everything was in one place, and people, you know, still ask me, how come you guys went, you know, had six hour lunches? I said, because everything was in one place, it was a lot simpler. But, you know, there is, I think we just need to get ourselves into the mind space that these data sets are not mutually exclusive, they are mutually supportive. Um, <laughs> there's a place for both. So, for instance, one of the interesting little snippets uh, in, in some of the reading I did uh, around your client base was that one of your clients is a Capitec. Now, by definition, in terms of what you've said, I would never expect to see Capitec there. But if you're springboarding from uh, a landscape base, as you, as you were calling it, into the top end, then you need to understand the shift from where you are to where you're going. So I think that's the key thing. And, I, you know, I've been talking a lot, as has my colleagues like Peter Langschmidt, uh, about data fusion. Data fusion is the key to this. You've got to find the correct books to allow you to use multiple data sets um, rather than just one. But just a quick comment as well. I mean, uh, I've been looking at the World Federation of Advertisers, uh, history of, or the future of insights, uh, I should say. And they isolate three kinds of movers and shakers. Librarians uh, who use data to answer questions, okay? Uh, consultants who ask the right questions, and then there are explorers who, who pose the question, what are the right questions? So I think you've got to decide, you know, which of those three are. If you're a librarian, that's fine. Single source data, which will allow you to populate stuff quantitatively, that's cool. But if you want to tell a story, um, that's fine. Then you can be a consultant. But if you want to make sure that the story is the right one, then you just need to go back and find a bit more about what is the right story to tell before you even start attempting to tell it. I'm stopped talking now, Doc, and, and because I can see uh, you, you, you're pointing your finger at me via the Zoom screen. I said, look, me, zip mouth, sure. No, not at all, Gordon. I'm, I'm learning from you. This is, this is really your field of expertise. And I was trying to categorize where I am on, on, your, on your librarian. <laughs> that, was, that was where Can I you be was. an exploring librarian or an explorative yeah. librarian? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, don't get me going with an exploring librarian. Making schoolboy fantasies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
just one of the things which was interesting, I, I, I referenced your average household income against the, the, mm-hmm. the SEM clusters. Uh, there have been a number of shifts, and, and I'm going to just ask you to talk about some of the key shifts from 2020 to 21. Uh, one of the big shifts for me was the uh, adoption of the SEM segmentation model, which I think makes an awful lot of sense just in terms of alignment um, of, of, of measures. And, and given that television is, is a key thing and the fact that television and the TAMS data is rim-weighted to SEMs, it makes a lot of sense. So what, what was the tipping point there for LSM to SEM? We traditionally never really had anything like that in Gordon. We were, you know, because of the nature of, we, we knew that we were a study of LS, LS in the old terms. We were always a study of LSM 7 plus. Unashamedly, that's it, guys, you know. Um, and we would, we for the last 10 years, the story we've been telling is we tell a better story about LSM 7 plus than anybody else in the country. And if you really want to understand that segment, we're the people to come to. I don't think that's changed. Very little has changed about it. SEM certainly hasn't changed that. So we didn't put LSMs in, actually. I think we did it once a couple of years ago as an experiment. And, you know, lo and behold, we discovered that 95% of our database of, of brand map respondents were LSM 8 plus, you know. Yeah. So we, we, we just proved the point that if you go by income, we always thought income was more interesting at that level of the market. SEMs are sort of a completely different beast. Um, to be totally honest with you, I've, I've read as much as I can about it. And I know I mean, I've read all of what Pete said about it. I think I understand what the, the idea was. Um, we literally put it in because we have clients who said, could you put in SEM measures? So we, we put it in and we've pretty much proved the same kind of thing. The only thing we have proved is that SEMs do clearly have some, there's another, there's something else at play with SEMs that wasn't there with LSMs where, for example, you can be a multi-millionaire driving a, a, a Jaguar and you can only come in at LSM at SEM 6. You know, it can happen. If you live on a golf estate and you're nowhere near a police station or a post office and you have a, an eco-friendly tin roof and a concrete floor and your, um, you know, your family gave you an air fryer for Christmas so you dumped the microwave, all of a sudden you're, you're SEM 6. And, and I think that that, that plays out in our, in our data. You know, we do have a, some weird anomalies in the SEMs, but we literally put it in because I do think it's here to stay. I mean, I think it. I think for for good reasons. I'm sure it's going to become more refined as we go, as we all understand it a bit better. Um, and I think it's vital that it's in there, as you said. Mostly, so that hopefully we can link uh, brand map in a fusion from a fusion perspective, so that we can link it to other surveys that's the main Absolutely. thing i'd like to do with it you know yeah, and i think because, i think you've summarized that yeah. perfectly i mean and, and it will the SEM thing will evolve as lsms did for the first yeah. five years of lsms they were changed every single year so yeah I, you know i think the obvious uh, cracks which could be plastered over you know not plastered over but rather re kind of relate so yeah police stations is one of them it's a statistical contributor but there's no logic to it from a marketing perspective. I'd much rather know about stuff like, you know, uh, fiber to the home. That's it. That's going to yeah. unlock a lot of insights. Um, yeah. but John, I mean, that's the point. So I just need to be able to move around these databases. I need to know when I've got to the end of the, the PAMS Nielsen Data Fusion Study, there's a bridge across from that uh, SEM top, you know, 10 cluster, the top half of, to, uh, of 10 there's a bridge across into something which will unlock another whole tapestry again, uh, which would be uh, part of the job. 
you know, in a in a way, Gordon, it's it's. A, I'll tell you a little a, a little trick. You know, I've been helping quite a lot of the the people who the analysts who use the who use brand map as a data source and trying to help them also, like with that navigation thing. And there are these sort of quite cool things that you can do with data sets. Uh, it just again, you do need to apply a little bit of uh, noggin here. You know, you got to you got to you got to apply a little bit of your own insight to what you're trying to do. So the classic example would be if you if you um. If there are known market things, so for example, you said Capitech earlier. If you look at the total brand map positioning of Capitech, it's certainly it's it's you know it's fourth as a bank, but we all know that by some margin it's the largest bank in this country right now. So when you see that in a data set, you know, oh, hang on a moment, I'm obviously dealing with a with a data set that is that is not dealing with mass market, it's dealing with something else, right? And conversely. You know, I, I went and had a look at, at uh, the old AMPs and I, I loved the idea that, in, you know, in 2017, AMPs reckoned the last survey reckoned that Investec had 4,000 private bank clients. So, you know, when you see that in a data set, you've got to go, well, hang on a moment. <laughs> maybe there's, maybe they've got, you know, they, that's where the limit is. So you, you can always find these points where, which are almost like they're, they're just red flags to say, hey, you're in the wrong data set, depending on what you are trying to do absolutely you know? yeah yeah um, no, absolutely i think that's it you've got to look for those red flags you know we've made a, a a kind of a study of ignoring red flags you know whether you're in telmar <laughs> or whether you're in clear decisions the software always flags these uh, you know anomalies like small samples and you know if you're of confident spirit and uh, you plan with gusto it's just as easy to remove those warnings and bluff they never <laughs> existed but you know by the same token I, I mean i think there's a legitimacy to that approach as well and part of the concern i've had recently is this uh, again the big study thing you know at least with your data it's your you know it's it's streaming you know you're building your data set on an ongoing kind of basis not a moment in time but if you are measuring, as we have done in the past, large numbers, taking months to process them and then releasing them again sort of a year later, you've lost the rhythm and because the change of pace is, is so much greater now. And the way I phrased it in the past is saying, you can't measure what I, I was doing yesterday in order to describe what I'm doing today. You need to measure what I'm doing today in order to predict accurately what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. So research has got to shift from this historical narrative into more of a projective analysis. And one of the things for me, from a statistical point of view, is this um, the tyranny of the 95% level of probability, which is something you and I, I think we chatted about it, Doc, you and I chatted about it as well. We're not scientists here. We're not trying to land a rocket on the moon. If I gave you a 90% level of probability outcome, would that be acceptable? And it would be. So I think we've got to kind of loosen up a bit on the, the nth degree of statistical kind of, uh, you know, salience or, or diligence is the word I'm looking for. I, I'm a, you'll notice, uh, Brendan, that I'm in charge of senior moments on this show. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to limit myself to one per show, but I, I've had a couple of, uh, in, in recent <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brandon, we've got a we've this is our 101st show, okay? And not everyone, but most everyone, Gordon, comes up with something out of a hundred shows that I wasn't expecting. Most of it was around my Fuff lookalike speeder, which I don't own, and now it's easy to see <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, you know, 
by way of, of, of showing that if you don't have the right mindset with data, which is to overrule the obvious kind of inaccuracies, that the average South African has one testicle. That is a statistical fact. <laughs> now, that's, that's two in one There you go. For no reason. Now, that's, that's telling a story through data. Exactly. So, you know, you've got to apply your mind to the data and say, even though the numbers add up, they don't make sense. And I think that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the name of the game. But, I mean, you've, you've also got another uh, offering as well, which I think is kind of interesting. You talk about data fusion, which is your online research. Um, I, I can't recall the brand name for it. You've got about 185, a panel of 185,000 respondents. So you can feed well, a question into, into a brand map if I, if I get the right hooks. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the you know, we, we started doing this, the whole online side of things, just to begin with, you know, nine years ago, everybody sort of threw as much dirt as they could at us, you know, saying, well, you know, online research is this and online research is that. And now, of course, everybody's doing online research. So, you know, so it's wonderful that, that our methodology has been validated um, now by everyone. A few years ago, we were telling everybody that we thought that Fusion was definitely working for our purposes. You know, it's like if if we could find something, you know, and Pete Langschmidt, you, who you mentioned, always been a snake and body was his was his big analogy. You know, it's like just keep fusing pieces of, of body onto the head of the snake and, and you'll land up with a, a composite set that makes sense. We've tried it. We've tested it. We're absolutely convinced that in our world, there's nothing wrong. Well, there's never been anything wrong with online research, depending on uh, as long as you're happy to eliminate all the people who aren't online. But, you know, quite frankly, if you're selling an Audi, I don't think you really that worried about people who aren't online. Um, so we were always happy with that. Now we're super happy to see everybody jumping on the bandwagon of the rest of what a, a more modern approach gives you, which is this idea of, you know, being able to fuse data sets together. So what we've got is we've got a couple of different things. One, one is a panel, a genuine panel that's been built up over the years, people who want to be part of ongoing kind of research surveys. And we can go to them, we can ask them questions, and, and we, we need very, very few pivot points, and we can fuse them back in. So you know, it's a there's there's it's given us the most amazing capability to do. It it feels like dipstick research, but it's so not because you've got that ability to fuse it back in. So you know, dipstick always used to annoy the hell out of me. I don't know about you guys, but I'd get those. You know, there were some of the rubbish that came out of it. It's kind of what you get out of a Facebook poll. You know, these days. Um, but but that's not what I'm talking about. We because it's an integrated sort of digital back end panel built service. We can. Fu seamlessly fuse that stuff back into into brand map. So it's a massively powerful, um, you know. And then at the same time, brand map is, you know, you were talking about ongoing research, and I think I think what what we try to do, I'm almost um, inclined to 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 stretch the gaps out at the moment as far as possible, and I'll I'll justify that. Um, if you're in the world of trying to measure behavior, as in how many people are listening to radio you know, who's shopping at checkers and who's shopping at pick and pay. I think, I think the consumer behavior is sort of pretty erratic and pretty radical at the moment in terms of the, the rate of change. At the same time, there are things like I'll show you 50 measures in brand map that did not budge in 2020. You know, like didn't budge. I mean, I've just done work. All of our financial clients are, are agreeing with us. It's like 88% of people had financial investments. 87% uh, of them do this year. It's, there's no shift. So 
the real beauty of what we do as a methodology is that we can we can do the big pieces of work on an annual or you know over the course of a couple of months put a result on the table and then very quickly go back into field during the course of the year and test whatever we want um, the bonus for the for the more for the the landscape guys or the guys who are trying to um, quantify consumer behavior and track it, you know, your Rams, Tams kind of environment. I think it should be, it's got to be always on. I mean, I don't know how they're ever going to, going forward, I'm not sure they'll survive if they yeah. don't find an always on model, you know. And, and that is happening now. So, I mean, you, you're seeing it with the BRC. We're waiting in the next oh, week wow. or two. They've done some really innovative stuff. I think they're presenting it next week at PAMRA. So, or oh, yeah. was it PAMRA this week? I've lost track of weeks, but it's it's imminent and they're going to release the data. And there they've moved from diaries, which really was archaic, innovation in its time, but had become archaic. So you're moving towards CATI, a combination of CATI, um, passive meters and, and and a panel. So even within one media yeah. of an audience, there's fusion. You're fusing three sets of data to give you one audience. So great innovation there. And we're seeing the same thing happening in the States where Nielsen are beginning to look at uh, a revision of their, uh, their, their classic TV ratings model to allow for streaming. So the game is on and you're absolutely yeah. right. It's not just about fusing big databases even within one data set, if you have different definitions of viewing, listening, reading, whatever it is, you can create smaller fusions, which and then in turn you can back end onto the bigger fusions. But guys, I'm, I'm aware we're running out of time. Um, Brandon, how's the best way for the guy, for anybody out there who's interested to get a hold of you? Because I know you've been doing roadshows. Are there roadshows coming up? Do you do the odd webinar? And how can they get a hold of you on? Because it, it's not, they've not going to look for brand map, they're going to look for Wi Fi. Yeah. No, they can look for for brand map as well. We 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 go by we go by both both names. Um, I guess LinkedIn. You know, we've been super active on LinkedIn for the last couple of years, so we uh, that's that's the easiest place to find us. But if you Google and just search for brand map, you'll find us. Um, our company name is called Y Five, but we we trade with brand map as our as our main product. You know, so yeah. just yeah, Google brand map. Go look for us on LinkedIn. You can find us there. Um, alternatively, um, on a Friday afternoon after about three o'clock. You can probably find me at Furry's uh, Tavern, uh, Newlands Avenue. It's my second office. It's halfway between me and Stu. So, you know, I've got to have meetings there. Love it. Yeah. Brandon, before you go, that's, I mean, Furry's, I haven't, I haven't, as a sort of non captonian I haven't heard or thought about Furry's for years, but it certainly was a place that we had one or two lemonades en route down to the old Newlands on, our, yes. on one of those heavy, wet Captown afternoons. Um, two things quickly, and I know we're running out of time. Brandon, you mm. also did some interesting work. You shared with us the trends in the media landscape, Gordon. I know it's close to your heart, passion. And, and you spoke about Facebook polls, and one of the things came out the lack of trust on online social media platforms. Yeah, um, yeah just, I mean, I know there's sort of five things you shared. I don't know if you want to just quickly give us a view on that. And then, if we've got time, is just a highlight on the loyalty stuff that you've done. I mean, some really interesting sure. work that's come out of, out of loyalty. Yeah, so on the first side of things, you know, the media, I did a, I did a, um, a really nice uh, webinar from for the Telmar guys. I, mean, I think there were like 460 people on the on the call, and uh, um, I sort of try to unpack everything that we knew. I think that's actually available as a download off the. It's, it's, I think it's on our on our LinkedIn site, but it's definitely on the Telmar site. So if you wanted to go and check it out, you know, the, 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 we unpacked it in detail. But here are the, the highlights for me were, you know, number one, 
Gordon mentioned fiber to the home and and uh, you know the other <laughs> but earlier you know that the this the growth is unbelievable hey you know the, we're talking about 43 percent up in in suburban South Africa in connectivity so can you imagine the impact of that on something like Netflix you know so Netflix is up about 35 percent usage in the in the total middle and top end um, fiber to the home has almost doubled in the middle class and it's increased sort of incrementally in the top end. Um, you, you know, just this whole idea of connectivity and what happened. You know, Spotify is like one in four people in this country in the middle class and up has got is connected to Spotify. You know, it's a so this whole idea of on-demand media is for me, that's the that's gonna be my sort of bugbear for the next probably 20 years. <laughs> um, I don't think we're ever gonna escape it. And and it's very important that you understand exactly what on demand is. You know, on demand is a it's on demand is not a facility. On demand is a is a psychology. Um, and I think when when we start understanding that as media p- people in the media trying to help clients, uh, the the closer we can get to explaining exactly what that means and what you as a media player have to do to respond, the better it's going to be for for everyone. So yep. yeah, just radical shifts in the digital space. And and it's yeah, we've told those stories all over. So I'm going to, I'm going to, that's a great place to wrap it up. I'm going to just throw one comment in and I'm going to leave it to the doctor to wrap the show. Um, listen mm-hmm. out to that, the, those last points you made about the on-demand and, and the role of, of on-demand media. Um, in the next week or so, we're going to be having Kantar in to talk about the media reaction study where they've unpicked a lot of uh, those, those points out. So it's nice that your points are way beyond intuitive uh, there's a quantification component to it. And, and I think we can definitely conclude that Netflix demand is up because they just put their prices up this week. So, uh, you know, Doug, you, this is your game. You're a, you're a price-sensitive boy. So I'm going to leave you to comment on hiking up prices uh, and uh, to wrap the show for us. But, Brenda, thanks for coming, man. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Gordon. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, Brendan, thanks very much from our side. And again, to our listeners, you know, we always encourage you to be part of this conversation, part of the discussion. Get on to, you know, Brendan's spoken about their LinkedIn profiles. Go onto the website. Go onto our sites. Uh, comment to us. As we always say, if you have interesting guests you'd like us to interview, please send us those names. But, I mean, yeah, look at the research. Understand the research. Uh, and certainly for me, you know, those last takeouts were extremely important. And it's a pity we didn't get to the royalty stuff. But uh, maybe in another show, you know, we'll chat about uh, some of the things that have stayed the same and one or two changes within the royalty landscape. So to our listeners out there, thanks very much. Uh, we'll catch you next week on The Doc and the Guru. Cheers for now. Ciao for now. Let's keep talking. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. 
The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.